back to the Baropolis podcast. It has been a hectic few weeks for Middlesbrough and, of course, the football schedule. Firstly, Nathan, of course, as always, I've got to say, apart from Middlesbrough's recent results, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, not too bad. Plodding along, um, sorting my stuff out, going back to university. It's that time of the year again where I'll be bouncing back up and down the country, going to watch Chris Wilder's Middlesbrough. But two weeks off now with the international break. So a bit of a break from the football, but probably well needed. I think we'll get into the last two games and the last few weeks as well since the last podcast, because they have been busy. But yeah, otherwise I'm okay. Yeah, all good. Uh, Obviously, um, with you moving back to university, uh, that also does mean that, you know, if you are an avid fan of, of this podcast and you can remember back, I believe there was a time last season where actually home games that you didn't attend uh, resulted in Middlesbrough winning games. Or was that the other way around? I just seem to remember quite a strange stat. No, we did we did all right. I think from from what I can remember, we used to win quite a lot while I wasn't there for midweekers especially. So hopefully that's a good omen. Yeah, well, let's uh, keep our fingers crossed because we need everything there. Everything we can get at the moment. Um, of course, going back, um, and and we must touch on it um, on a, on a more serious note, Nathan. Going back, of course, to the last podcast, um, we were previewing, of course, a trip to Blackpool, uh, a three o'clock kickoff in, in Blackpool, the stuff of dreams for Middlesbrough fans, what everyone was hoping for eventually. We never seem to get that three o'clock kickoff at Blackpool on a Saturday. Um, But of course, that was postponed. And of course, the reason for that was uh, the very sad death of Queen Elizabeth II. Um, Of course, there was a lot of um, comments about whether games should or shouldn't have gone ahead. Um, And I think Chris Wilder put it quite nicely um, in the end that, you know, sometimes in life, um, you know, there's certain things which are are probably more important than football. And, um, you know, I completely understand the arguments about um, money that people may have have lost out on. You know, we do have to consider it's, you know, a, a massive historical event and something that we won't experience again so um you know we don't want to um get really drawn in uh, the politics of that but you know of course we did um have to touch upon uh, the sad event and of course um we will move on now to the football nathan and actually i'm i'm not sure whether the the mood will be lifted all too much either from the football um of course, after that postponement of the Blackpool game, we found ourselves with two home games on the trot. Um, and I put a little bit of context on that. Of course, it would have been two home games on the trot following, of course, that Derby win against Sunderland at the Riverside. Um, a real big opportunity for Chris Wilder's side to kickstart their season. And... They haven't really taken that opportunity. Of course, we'll go in depth on 
both games, but rewinding yourself back to the day or the night of, of that Cardiff game, um, what were you expecting, really? After the the derby win against Sunderland and being forever the optimist, um, you always think, right, surely that's the game now that is is the one to kickstart our season. We won that game in a tight a tight game, won it one nil, got that clean sheet, got that home win, and we won ugly on that Monday night, and it proved that we could dig in and could grind out three points. And I thought that that was pretty good from us to get that one over the line. And going into this game, I felt like we were going to be facing up against a side that were probably going to come here and sit back like most teams in the championship do when they go away from home, sit in, make it nasty, make it horrible for the home side, waste time, just be horrible and and, and try and come out with a point or nick, nick goals on the counter. And in that first half, I felt like it was completely different to what I expected from Cardiff. Um, I think we'll, we'll speak about Steve Morrison's comments a bit later on uh, following our dissection of the game. But I think his comments were um, just just wrong and uh, a wrong reflection of the game, really. Uh, Cardiff came here and were clever with their press, won the ball high up the pitch and really just took their chances. So it put the game beyond doubt within <laughs> 45 minutes, really. Yeah, of course. And and before we do go into the goals, because I mean, I think we could probably spend an hour on its own just dissecting the absolute many mistakes that took place across those um, those opening three goals for Cardiff. Uh, we must talk about the team first, though. Unchanged, of course. The one real bit of standout team news was the fact that, as we uh, discussed in the last podcast, Massimo Luongo was on the bench. Um, of course, since we last spoke, he'd been training. Uh, there was sort of rumours that he was going to be offered a contract. That was confirmed, I think, potentially the day after we'd actually recorded the podcast. So, you know, we got that one uh, spot on, in fairness to both of us. Um, but we, we touched on that signing just in terms of the actual squad, um, a good addition. And actually, quite nice to look at the team sheet and see uh, a central midfield option that you know probably deserves to be where he is, rather than Mebby's. And no disrespect um, to the academy lads, but you know, Luongo's place on the bench was um, instead of the likes of a Hayden Hackney or a Boyd Munns who you know, realistically, probably had we have brought players in earlier, would have been going out on loan and wouldn't have been near the squad anyway. So that was uh, the main piece of team news. Um, 
but unfortunately, Nathan, now we have to we have to talk about about those three goals. Um, so I'll let you start off with that first one. Yeah, well, I think from from minute one, really, um, I could tell that something was off with Middlesbrough. Um, I don't know if it was part of the plan, um, but things that I remember were the ball being played out to Paddy McNair at right side at centre-half, and instead of looking for an option inside or cutting back into his other centre-half and looking to play out, he was just lumping the ball down the channel for, I think, it'll, it'll have been Rodrigo and Jones to chase, but with with no real effect at all in those opening few minutes. It was very strange just to keep hoofing the ball down the channel, trying the same thing over and over again, but with absolute little effect. Um, and perhaps he was doing that because he didn't trust, um, didn't trust our, our midfield with the ball, which, as I said earlier on, Cardiff's press was spot on and that's where their goal comes from. McNair, knocks that ball into midfield into Crooks and Crooks is pressed by Rawls on his first touch. Rawls flicks it into Robinson. Robinson then plays a, a fantastic ball down the side in fairness uh, to Callum O'Dowder, who was playing uh, as, as probably a wing-back um, in, in Cardiff's system on that Tuesday night. Um, well, of course, we know what he's like, um, having watched him in the championship over the years for Bristol City. Um, he's got an enormous amounts of pace and that killed Paddy McNair down that left-hand side. Uh, O'Dowder was away, bearing down on goal and neatly slotted it through the legs of Liam Roberts. And that was 1-0, four minutes on the clock and an enormous mountain to climb early on. Yeah, um, took me by surprise. I can't lie. I thought, you know, after the the derby win, um, after the gap in, in terms of games, you know, we we got those extra days of sort of um, of training in. I know Chris Wilder had said that um, despite the fixtures being um, off, um, of course, in the weekend prior to the the Cardiff game, uh, it, the Middlesbrough squad maintained their usual pre-match preparation um, and I expected us to fly out the blocks when actually it was probably Cardiff which did that um, yeah a real disappointing goal from our perspective and as you say you know it's a catalogue of errors Matt Crooks is sort of touching the midfield is, is really poor but then you've got to applaud the press of Cardiff to go and meet him and, and stop him playing um, and as you say it's a clever ball in behind that back line and, and that um, left hand sided channel of course that Cardiff were attacking um, in behind Paddy McNair and of course in that position um, we see a lot of it and, and it's something that I want to talk about teams seem to have you know, picked up on that, um, that channel of Paddy McNair and Isaiah Jones is a bit of a weakness because if you watch the patterns of play which teams try and target against us, it is often 
play the ball in behind McNair. And more often than not, Isaiah Jones is probably a little bit too high up the pitch to fully recover. Um, so the first goal comes from that. Callum O'Dowd, I get in behind. It's a neat finish. Uh, I think I saw criticism of, of Liam Roberts, which I thought was a little bit harsh, to be honest. You know, he, he spread himself and I, I don't really think any criticism is justified, but that's just my personal opinion. Um and I mean, at 1-0 down, you think, well, you know, this is really hopefully going to shake Middlesbrough into action. Um, and actually, it did quite the opposite again. Um, this time, it's Johnny Owson in a slightly deeper position, gets caught out, trying to take too many touches, um, pretty much on the edge of his own box. Um, Cardiff win the ball back. And then um, I think it's Mark Harris for Cardiff who, who fires a shot from probably the edge of the day really and it, it's a it's a decent strike uh, Roberts gets somewhat of a touch on it and it, it fires into the back of the net and it all to be honest happened in what felt like the blink of an eye really um, Cardiff just raced into the lead and and even at 2-0 and this was before 3-0 you kind of just thought well that's that yeah you did um, it was such a, a poor opening 25 and then 45 minutes in that first half. It was lethargic. There was no movement in midfield. The midfield may, may as well not have even been there for, for periods of that game. Um, but yeah, Cardiff again, clever. Bora trying to play out from the back. Johnny Housen's facing his own goal and not on the half turn, gets pressed. Robinson then knocks it back into Mark Harris, one touch out his feet, and picks out the top corner. Dale Fry and Matt Clark failing to get out and put any pressure on Harris, just letting him get his shot off. Um, incredibly, incredibly poor. Once again, 2-0 down with little and I mean really really little signs of any sort of improvement uh in the in the second half of that first half really um from that second goal nothing improved really um got worse probably yeah it was still lacking energy, lacking intensity, just lacking any sort of plan, really. It was just incredibly slow. And I think, yeah, the key word is intensity. I had no intensity to it at all. It was just embarrassing to watch in that first half. And again, punished with that third goal. This time down the left-hand side, some good moves from Cardiff. Pulling Matt Clark out of position um, with a neat one-two. NG drives on into the Middlesbrough box. Chops inside Dale Fry. And from no more than 10 yards out, has a free shot on goal with his left foot. And he steers that one into the corner. 3-0 down at half-time. And 
it was pretty much game done and dusted. Yeah, it was. It really, really was. Um, I've got to say, okay, yes, me and you have been fortunate in that we haven't seen the really, really bad times as a middle uh, as a Middlesbrough fan. But you know, in fairness, I don't think we've had many um, great times or of the age where we kind of missed out on the real glory days. That first half in terms of a standalone 45 has got to be up there with one of the worst 45 minutes I can remember whilst watching Middlesbrough. It was everything really. And this is sort of the best way of me explaining how bad it was. And I'm sure anyone listening to this or watching will agree. It was that first 45 minutes was everything of the complete opposite of what I thought that Chris Wilder's Middlesbrough team was. And yeah. had shown, last season had shown in the first part of this season, okay, yes, we've had disappointing results. Watford, we still overall played okay. Um, and, you know, even the Stoke game, we had late disappointment in that, but for the first half, we were excellent. That first 45 against Cardiff was just lacking anything really um, and I don't as much as I want to get angry and sort of pick holes in it and the same really goes for Rotherham and, and that wasn't anywhere near as bad but I, I sort of I struggle to even talk about it because it was just such a letdown um, I think it's best we move on at the second half, to be honest, because there was, of course, a slightly improved second half. But I think really that was... okay. firstly, down to the substitutions that Chris Wilder made, we saw the introduction of Anthony Dysteel, who who did a great job of pushing us up the pitch and not just lugging the ball forward as if we're some sort of Sunday league side. Um, and Duncan Watmore as well, who was introduced and, and really managed um, to inject a bit of energy, which, of course, you can you can never knock uh, Duncan Watmore for. Of course, Alex Mowat and Paddy McNair were the players that come off, and deservedly so. Uh, as you say, McNair, partly to blame for that first goal in his passing, really. Um, and just general positioning was... was not something that we've come to expect from Paddy McNair. And the nicest way of putting Alex Mowat's first half performance was anonymous. Um, I can't actually remember him touching the ball, in all honesty. Um, so into that second half, Nathan. Of course, we get two goals back. Um, in fairness, two reasonably worked goals, especially um, Rodrigo Munez's header. Um, of course, the substitute, Duncan Watmore, gets the first of those two. Um, and actually, a typical Duncan Watmore goal, because it's a tight angle, it's a difficult finish, and he manages to stick it away. It's, uh, the real problem at the moment is actually Duncan Watmore's ability to finish the slightly easier chances. Um, and then that second goal, something that... I think we've been crying out for and you know I think what I want to do this podcast especially is 
we usually sort of break the games down and talk about incidents in the game. I want to talk about, because, I mean, let's be honest, things have gone wrong in this start to, to Middlesbrough season. But I want to look at, or try and explain what the sort of bigger picture is and why things have sort of, I don't want to say drastically gone wrong, but certainly it's it's just not what we were expecting the start to be like. So, of course, um, the second goal of the night from Middlesbrough, cross in from Dyke Steele, good work from him down that right. Um, Rodrigo Munoz pulls off his man, heads in, makes it 3-2. We then pile the pressure on, last few moments. Isaiah Jones has an effort deflected, um, which looked goal-bound in, in fairness. Um, but Cardiff managed to cling on. What were your real sort of takings from the game? And I'm, I'm not talking about sort of, you know, the improvement in the second half, but just in terms of what was missing, what needed to change going into the Rotherham game. And really, how... How has this Middlesbrough side produced a performance that bad? Um, well, from that game as a whole, we didn't deserve anything from it, despite the second half display. Um, I thought, despite scoring two goals in that second half and having a couple of other chances, we deserved we deserved nothing. And I didn't think the second half performance was even that good, if I'm entirely honest. Um, I think that in the first half, especially when the game is slightly more open, we we lacked any sort of intensity again, um, no energy and no zip in our passing. It was all slow, laboured, lethargic, as I've as I've said, just lacking any sort of intent to to do anything. It was just like a training exercise at times, whereas Cardiff treated the game like a proper game and let, let us have the ball and do little with it at all. They retained their shape and pressed when they saw press triggers and... They got the just rewards for it. They haven't been the greatest goal scoring side this season. Only four goals scored before their trip to the Riverside and three and 45 against Middlesbrough. Um, just, I think that sums it up really. Um, it shows that the, the defence from last season that was so reliable with... Johnny, with Johnny Housen sitting in front of it, with Isaiah Jones at right wing back, with Anthony Dyke still still there, Dale Fry still there, Paddy McNair still there, with Mark Bowler still there featuring at times, you'd say that Giles is an improvement on that on that back five. Yeah. Um, but we're we're conceding a lot more goals and that needs to that needs to be identified why that's happening. Um, Wilder did say on Friday pre-Rotherham 
that he identified that 10 of the 15 goals that we conceded so far this season were from individual mistakes. Well, if it's from individual mistakes, then responsibility needs to be taken first of all, but something needs to be done to cut out those individual mistakes because 10 out of 15 goals conceded simply isn't good enough, really. Um, If you're looking at that and saying, well, if the individuals didn't make the mistakes, the goals wouldn't have happened, then we'd be a completely different side, wouldn't we? We'd we'd have only conceded five all season rather than 15. So, yeah, it, it was an incredibly, incredibly poor display in that first half. And despite two quick fire goals late on in that second half to give all the fans a little bit of false hope, like they always do, um, it just wasn't enough. And on the whole, you can have no complaints about the result. It was clear cut, really, from from minute one, Cardiff were the better side. And yeah. they got the just rewards. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, you say there about that back five in particular, and, you know, often um, that's the first thing that you sort of look at when a team's conceding goals. And rightfully so. Um, you look at it from Middlesbrough's perspective. And, you know, as you say, we've had Ryan Giles come into that back five who has been a breath of fresh air um, going forward for Middlesbrough. And that is, of course, his outstanding strength. Um, And I don't want this to sound like a a huge criticism of Ryan Giles as an individual, because it's certainly not. It's a collective. um, It's just an observation. Do you think perhaps the fact that now we've got to... Let's be honest, okay, yes, they are wing-backs, but players that started, and I think it would be fair to say their main attributes are attacking, um, their attacking output, sorry. Do you think that them two going so forward is leaving us a little bit vulnerable behind, but also it may be leaving us a little bit vulnerable behind but actually the three behind those wing-backs are basically not strong enough as a unit to deal with pretty much the system and the fact that more often than not, there is times where, you know, they, they are going to be left to defend in sort of 2v3s or 3v3s if teams counter-attack us. Um, I mean, we, we saw it for the opening goal. Paddy McNair is left exposed, um, and even even for Perry and G's goal, okay, it, it it's not the point I'm making is that it's not you know the wing backs' fault, but is the system of allowing the wing backs to bomb on putting us under too much pressure? Do you think Chris Wilder needs to say to the wing backs, listen? as much as you create chances, you may need to drop a few yards and be a little bit more sort of um, 
what's the word, Nathan, that I'm looking for? Just, Just a little conservative, bit I think. Streetwise, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think if you look back at his Sheffield United side and you look at the two wing-backs that he usually opted for, which were Ender Stevens and George Baldock, those two wing-backs are, by trade, more, more defensive wing-backs and they probably make that back three or back five, whatever you, you take your take is on it. They, t- they make that more resolute. Um, but I think what doesn't help is sides are now knocking the ball into the, the flanks where Matt Clark and Paddy McNair were in this instance, in this first half. And those two can't deal with the pace of a team like Cardiff where they have Harris up front, who's who's quick, Robinson or Dowder. The, all those players there are, are lightning quick and Cardiff, in, in all fairness to them, exploited our complete lack of pace at the back and just got them behind us, got those players turned, um, especially for that first goal, really. It was just within a flash, within one pass, they were in behind because of Oladowda's run, which was a very good run in fairness, just direct um, in behind. And, yeah, we were, we were left a bit exposed there. But I think another area that we we probably need to talk about as well is the midfield it's it's been it's been giving me a little bit of a flashback to last year where in the early part of last season you and I talked a lot about the balance in midfield and towards the end of last season it looked as though that balance had been resolved with Tavernier on the left Johnny Housen sitting deep and Matt Crooks on the right. Um, and one of those three components isn't at the club anymore. Arguably the best player out of, well, I think it'd be fair to say the best player out of, out of the three. Yeah, I don't think there's an arguably about it in fairness. You don't have to be, uh, you don't have to be nice on this one. Yeah. Tavernier, the, the best out of the three, certainly the most energetic um, out of the three, the most involved out of the three. I think that's fair to say as well. In all of our play last year, Tavernier was involved very heavily, especially in in both sections. In, in, in both sections of the pitch, as you say, there defensively. He did his duties. He, he had the legs to get back and he did just that. And then he'd win the ball and he'd drive forward with it and bring others into play. And so far this season from midfield, I picked up on it a few weeks ago. Um, I think it was post-QPR. Post-QPR with, with Crooks and McGree in midfield. I was I was very sort of harsh to say 
they've got no energy in midfield. They just teams just run through us in midfield, and it's happening again, isn't it? Um, Crooks in that first half against against uh, Cardiff was incredibly poor. Johnny Housen was incredibly poor, and what we've seen from Alex Mauer at the minute is not what we've expected. I don't think. Um, I think we expected him to be a lot more involved. Um, definitely not at Tavernier's level, but at least providing something that Tavernier did have, which was the ability to 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 be good in both sectors of the pitch, both defensively and offensively. And at the minute, we've seen not a lot at all from Alex Marwood. Um The word you used for his first half display against Cardiff was anonymous, and I'd completely agree. Um, in a lot of games, he's been shy of the ball, I think it's fair to say. Um, and it's leaving us left wide open for teams to run all over us in midfield. I think if Johnny Housen has a bad game like he did on Tuesday night, it makes us look so so much worse in the middle of that pitch um, and if Johnny Alston has a bad game it leaves that back three exposed and there's your knock on effect because yeah. th- then they're, they're, they're under a lot more pressure and eventually other teams are going to have a lot more chances and score more goals against us so I don't really know what's going on at this moment in time with the the play itself, the style of play and why things aren't working for us. But it seems to be a common occurrence, doesn't it, that if you bypass our midfield, and at the moment that looks too easy in itself, but if you bypass our midfield, it's the same pattern of play. It's the one pass into the striker who pulls wide more often than not one of our wing-backs, depending on which side the ball is, is probably a little bit too high up the pitch. The striker then receives the ball on the back foot, spins, plays the ball in that channel where the centre-half and the wing-back should be occupying. And at that stage, it's left to, well, more often than not, just an an outright battle of, of pace and who gets there first. And I think one reason why we looked better in the second half and looked better and you know that's a a a whole sort of exaggeration in itself really considering the performance against Rotherham but one of the reasons why there was that slight improvement whether it be one percent or 0.5 percent was the introduction of Anthony Dykesteel and I know we both agree on it because it's something we spoke about just together at the match. Um, I think Anthony Dykesteel has got to make that right uh, centre-back position his own and stay there now for however long he sort of lasts until he picks up an injury, to be honest, because without his pace in the back line, we we really do struggle with any pace. And I'm not talking about, you know, a Dharma Triore type of pace. 
okay, Callum Robinson and Mark Harris are no slouches, but in the same breath, they aren't, you know, known, the pair of them, for the blistering pace. And yet they make our backline look like they're running in tarmac. Um, on the left-hand side, it's a different issue. And, I mean, the issue of, of, of Paddy McNair altogether um seen a lot of people suggesting that we should go back to the tried and tested back three of last season. Of course, Dale Fry centrally, Dice Deal right and Paddy McNair left. I'd be inclined to potentially agree, but actually I think there's absolutely no chance because we've seen time and time again and heard time and time again that Chris Wilder wants balance in that back three. Um, my reasoning behind that isn't Paddy McNair's performances leaving him undroppable. It's it's actually the sort of I don't want to use the word downfall, but um, the sort of drop in performance level since Matt Clark's debut. Um, outstanding on his debut. I mean, we both joked, we've all kind of nicknamed him Baldini and all sorts. And I mean, quite upsettingly, really. Um, for me, he's, he's been really, really off the pace since that first game. Um, I think after his debut, it, it sort of didn't really. Um, get picked up on too much because of the fact the results were still okay at that stage but I, I'm not sure whether it's his level of fitness that he's come into the club with or if it's genuinely him as a player I, and I don't think that is the case because we've seen what he can offer in terms of overlapping as a centre-back in terms of his distribution and that just doesn't seem to be there he looks slow a lot of the time when he has the ball, instead of playing out, he seems to try and clip balls long, which when you're playing, you know, Rodrigo Munez is a pretty much a, a lonely number nine. Um, it doesn't really work. And I mean, even when you're pairing with Duncan Watmore, you, you're not really hitting much in terms of a, a striker that's going to hold the ball up. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's a scenario that, um, I'd like to hear your thoughts on Nathan, but I think you know the the two main issues, and I, I can't believe I'm saying it because of the outcry in the summer that we needed more strikers. But actually, the midfield and defence are alarmingly, you know, the problem at the moment. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you on Matt Clark. Um, I think there's been. An enormous drop off from his debut against Swansea, where he was outstanding. Um, I can't work out why, if I'm entirely honest, but I think the signs for me started to show during that Sunderland game, um, in those opening few minutes where Patrick Roberts dispossessed him and played in Pritchard to miss that chance. I think that was the first chat, first sort of time I thought, yeah, he's, he looks a bit off the pace here. Um, but I think... I, I don't like 
this this isn't us writing off a signing completely, but I think from my perspective, and I don't know if you agree, Nathan, it's just a pointer towards the fact that I don't feel personally that he looks fully fit. I think that's the only explanation I can give it. And not in terms of, you know, he hasn't got an injury, but he he said himself he had a disrupted preseason. Perhaps that's catching up on him now. Perhaps. Um, if it is that, then I think we'll be expecting some improvements in performances Post- come, come the next the next game because of this two weeks off now um, to rest and recuperate and get a little bit fitter. And Now he's got some games under his belt as well. He'll understand the system a bit more and, and things like that. But uh, in regards to Paddy McNair possibly moving into that left-sided centre-half role, I'm not too sure. I think if we do do that, we are simply looking to shoehorn Paddy McNair into this side. Um, his performance on Tuesday night was absolutely shocking, if I'm honest. Um, as I said from minute one, Hunting the ball down the channel instead of looking to pick out a man was, uh, I just couldn't understand it at all, if I'm honest. Um, so I'm not entirely sure about shoehorning him in into that left side centre half role. And it's something that Chris Wilder just probably won't do anyway. As you, as you mentioned, the talk, the chat about balance all summer long. And now he's got that left side centre half. He'd be reluctant to change. Um, but we were expecting something to change going into that Rotherham game. We are expecting a bit more intensity. We are expecting just, just a bit more of what we'd seen from Chris Wilder's side in the past. Um, and there was a few changes to the side. Uh, Liam Roberts dropped out Zach Steffen back into the side following injury. Um, Zach Steffen not called up to the USA national team for the following um, international break because of that injury. Um, Anthony Dykesdale came into the side for Paddy McNair. The midfield was similar to that second half with McGree dropping a bit deeper. Um, Alex Mauer dropping out the side for Duncan Watmore and I think that was it for the changes but from what we did see in that second half against Cardiff there were improvements Um, what I did feel that I did see was Crooks dropping a little bit deeper next to Johnny Housen in that second half with McGree still being that number 10 but having both Rodrigo and Duncan Watmore in front of him, making making options. So, I, I mean, I, I thought McGree was was a little bit better in that second half against Cardiff and was looking forward to seeing a little bit more from, from us there. But, again, first half against against Rotherham on, on Saturday night, I mean... We'll talk about the, the the kickoff time a little bit later. It was a bit strange, wasn't it? The kickoff time, um, but that first half against Rotherham, more of the same, really. Um, 
from Cardiff, if I'm honest. Um, players looking like they're lacking a lot of confidence in themselves, lacking a lot of belief and reluctant to try things. Isaiah Jones is absolutely shot for confidence right now. You can see it in him that he daren't take on a man in case he's tackled and instead he'll turn around and try and retain the ball and instead of sort of just sticking with him, the fans boo him for retaining possession because he's got absolute because he's got no confidence in himself at this moment in time to take players on after he's been doubled up on for months because of how good he was last season and the fans are berating him. Well, if Isaiah if Isaiah Jones struggles in the next the next few months with his confidence and the fans keep getting on his back, that'll be him done because he's just getting battered at this moment in time. Um, but it's not just him that's struggling. I think a lot of the players are really. Um, they don't really want to play forward passes either. They're quite happy to just step, step into midfield, look as though they're going to pass forward and then check back in and knock it into the other centre half and then we'll switch it out to the other side and then do the exact same on the other side and keep switching it back out. Um, one of the standout moments in the first half for me was Dale Fry picking up the ball off Zach Steffen and stepping into midfield with the ball, took on took on a man in the middle of the park and played a ball over the top to Duncan Watmore that he nearly got the end nearly got on the end of. That was a half chance, but it showed a little bit of ambition. Um, playing long balls for, uh, up front to Rodrigo and what more. Nearly caught Richard Wood out at one point where his clearance was miscleared and what more from 12 yards out, side foots. Well, it looks like a decent chance over the bar. Um, Duncan Watmore, we we all know what he's like. Very energetic. Will will score. He, he'll score a thirty-five yard screamer for you one week, and he'll miss the next five. That are, I think you could cross balls into him that are on the six-yard box, and he put them wide over and at the keeper for you every single day. Yeah. Um, and it, that was a massive chance. Another one in that first half was Watmore driving forward, jinking in and out from that left-hand side, and he cuts it back to Jones. Jones on his left foot fires wide. Rotherham didn't offer too much in that first half. Had one chance that I remember where it was Washington cutting the ball across the face of goal that all it needed was a tap in and no one got there fortunately because I think had they scored in that first half it, it, had, killed, killed it had killed the ground yeah. but yeah the, the, way, the, the only thing I can say about that first half is those players look absolutely battered in terms of their confidence and it almost feels like the game didn't happen for me. 
because yeah. it was it was that much of a non-event. Yeah, it, it was. I think that's the best way to put it. It was a non-event. Um, and and in all honesty, I, I don't really think we need to talk about specific points in the first half or second half. I mean, firstly, because there wasn't that many to talk about anyway, but it, it, it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't a bad performance in, in terms of individual mistakes, more so that, you know, was the, the Cardiff first half. It was a bad performance in terms of the sideways and backwards passing. One word that Chris Wilder uses all the time and, and mentions how much he hates it, and that's just plain safe. It was so safe. It was... I don't really want to be the one to make the mistake. I don't really want to be the one to get hold of the ball, try and beat a man and then thread a pass through. And I think looking back at the game, I think it comes down to two problems. One, you know, out of control of the players. We, I don't think, have the individuals to unlock a defence and rely on one, I don't know, a Lee Tomlin type to, to turn a game on its head when it's nil-nil, you think we'll just have to grind this point out and then he produces a pass which unlocks a defence and, and you go and score from that. Um, I, I don't think we have that. And the only thing that I come away from the game thinking was, well, yet again, we fail to address any creativity and it goes all the way back to the transfer window again. Uh, I spoke, obviously, to my dad, who I go to the game with. I spoke to you about it. We, we in the podcast, didn't really, considering how frustrated we both were, and I know that for a fact, didn't really go too much in depth on in, in terms of the disappointment of transfer deadline day. But you, you look at games like the Rotherham game, and, and it makes you realise what we've actually missed out on. We have arguably, and I think most would agree, one of the brightest managers we've had since Aitor Karanga. And he hasn't got what he wants. He hasn't been backed. Um, you know, you, you look at the bench against Rotherham and yes, okay, there's the likes of, of Marcus Force. He's a so-called development signing now. Of course, Matthew Hoppy falls into that category as well. So there's £6 million, or roughly, um, depending on, you know, fees and um, the translation of euros to pounds. It, it Roughly £6 million. For me, if you, you've got to look at that and think, what was the thought process behind that? Matthew Hoppy can't get in the squad. And I know we're talking about um, we're talking about strikers here, but I'm talking about in terms of the money that at the moment it just looks like we've completely wasted. Because I understand that in this day and age, a few years after a global pandemic, that it would be stupid to go and spend like we have in the past and, and potentially put ourselves back four years or five years. But if you are going to spend 
you know, let's say what what was our money out roughly uh, around 10 million perhaps with loan fees factored into that, possibly a little bit more. If you're going to spend that amount of money, then you can't be using nearly, well, in fact, more than half of it on two players that you have no intention of starting games. It's just, it, it, it's ludicrous, to be honest. Yet again, I'll, and I don't, I don't want to go in on Duncan Watmore because he offers he offers what Duncan Watmore offers. He works incredibly hard. He's a great impact substitution. But if you look at the cold, hard facts, he was potentially surplus to requirements in the transfer window. Chris, I'm pretty sure, judging by reports, had we have got the strikers in that we were looking for, Duncan Watmore might have not even been at the club. And yet he's pretty much a part, of course, Rodrigo Munez is always going to be first choice striker. But if you're playing a front two, that's the next option that Chris Wilder looks at. And I mean, that's, a, that, that's just a different argument in itself. But we've let Marcus Tavernier go. We've let Martin Piero go. And yes, people will say, well, he didn't offer all that much. But I, I, I 100% confidently say that in terms of unlocking a defence or a little bit of creativity from midfield, that he brings more than any midfielder that's at the club at the moment. He does. You're right. Um, it's quite funny to... Uh... I just, I, I really, I just, I scratch my head because I can't remember the timeline exactly, but I feel like we come off the back of a win after the after the transfer deadline episode of the podcast, and it, it sort of, it sort of made us almost gloss over things really, because of the of the positivity around the results and actually it just I go straight back to it now any any negative results that we have and of course there's specific games there's different ways a game can pan out there's individual mistakes and I, I completely get that but if you're Chris Wilder looking at our bench and Bear in mind, I think most expected that we'd at least challenge in the playoffs. Some, and a lot of, of credible people, pundits, um, writers, thought that we could potentially even break the top two, which, I mean, feels an awful long way off now. But Chris Wilder, looking back at his bench, does not see a bench that is capable of getting a team automatically promoted. It's, yeah, we're struggling. We're, we're struggling. And, 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 and again, just I'll, I'll stop talking, Nathan, because I've, I've went off on a tangent here, but you can see my frustrations coming out. We have reportedly, what we haven't covered, Dale Stevens, former Brighton midfielder, is reportedly on trial, or at least training with the club. Um, we know that now. And again, you look at that and you think, well, yes, okay. Dale Stevens brings a certain amount of experience. He brings, you know, a, a more of a deep lying midfielder. Certainly, certainly not someone that's going to unlock a defence and, and roam forward. You look at the addition of Simo Luongo. We've we've just neglected any form of creativity. I don't understand 
if we're going to play the system that we are playing, where it, it sounds ridiculous, but where these goals are going to come from in you know difficult, closely contested games, because in some games, yes, you can rely on transitions and patterns of play and getting the the wing backs high, and we saw that in the early games. Fantastic. We were excellent against Sheffield United for parts. We were probably the best I've seen us in a long while against West Brom in the first half, utilising the wing-backs. If we're not going to do that, which has become apparent in the past two games, then what other avenue of scoring have we actually got? Because I'm failing to see it at the moment. <laughs> it's. I think this is one of them times where everything seems to be going wrong with the results. Yeah, Nathan, I feel like I need to bang my head off the laptop, to be honest. (laughs) I think everything seems to be going wrong with the results, with the, the performances as well. And I think just the hope, the hope is that this international break that we've got now where we've got two weeks before we go to Coventry, it will give Wilder some time to just instill some belief, confidence back in these players where they come out at Coventry and they're just powered by the fans singing or Wilder said, and that's it. They just know what to do and everything goes our way because at the minute it feels like everything's against us because one of the things one of the things that we've missed out is that second half chance for Duncan Watmore where Rodrigo's flicked the ball over his head. Watmore's rounded Johansson and he's knocked the ball off the post and the ball has trickled across the goal line and somehow stayed out. And had we scored that, then we'd have won ugly again and everyone breathes a little bit of a sigh of relief. But a nil-nil draw at home to Rotherham, um, they've got off to a good start, in fairness to them. And coming up from League One, a lot of people have just thought, oh, this is just the same Rotherham that comes up every year where it's they'll be back down by Christmas because that's all they do, Rotherham. They, they're just a yo-yo team between Championship and League One. And I think that's a bit unfair to, to say at this moment in time because they did extremely well in League One last year and people just think that these sides are a pushover because of what they saw um, in, in in recent years and years gone by um, from these clubs, but Rotherham have, have improved drastically and are a well-drilled side. I do, I do agree. I do agree. Don't get me wrong, Nathan, I do. And I was actually really impressed with Rotherham's midfield especially. I thought the balance in that midfield... Um, was, was 
good, um, especially Dan Borlasser, um, the sort of deeper of the three in that Johnny Allison role, if you will. A really good distributor, a really good passer, kept things nice and simple, um, and also got a great free kick delivery on him as well. Um, and then they have the two further up, which provide that energy in midfield. But as much as, you know, I completely understand your point. We You can't just neglect Rotherham. We, I think we have to we, we have to keep this discussion on Middlesbrough and, and what's gone wrong because although Paul Ward's done a fantastic job and they're currently sitting in a much better league position than, than we are, you know, you look at the finances spent in the summer and it wasn't a, a hugely expensive summer from our point of view. And yet still, Rotherham spent probably 10% of what we did. And really, if you watch that game back, could you see a massive difference in terms of quality, in terms of willingness to to go in attack i think what you what you can tell the difference between is a side that are incredibly well drilled in their system and a side that are thriving off confidence and a side that are confident in their system versus a side that are struggling for confidence struggling to get to grips with the system I, I believe I believe I believe that we are struggling with the system and I think that Wilder at this moment in time is in his press conferences seems to talk a lot about the system that he set that he set this side up in and I'm not sure that our players are grasping what he actually wants. Yeah, I mean, I, I do I do think it's an interesting point that you make the fact that a lot of the press conferences at the moment seem to be dominated on talk around the system. And actually, despite if you if you're listening to this and you've just heard me go off on a little bit of a tangent, I don't actually think the problem is the system. I think we've seen that it works. We've seen against the, the team currently top of the league and, for me, the best team in the league, without a doubt, Sheffield United. Arguably, we should have won that game. And we played some some really, really terrific football. Against West Brom, the exact same thing. OK, yes, West Brom are having a bit of a sticky patch at the moment, but they've got some really top championship players. So we've seen that it can work. It it just really raises the question, is it a mentality thing? Is it... Does it go back to the fact that, you know, we mentioned that from the Sunderland game to... To the Cardiff game, we were unchanged, and that sometimes that's a good thing. Continuity, uh, consistency is a good thing, but really, 
you look at the changes from Cardiff to Rotherham. Okay, the goalkeeper's one position where actually I think I should just say I thought it was a little bit harsh on Liam Roberts, but I mean Zach Steffen coming in, you, you couldn't really say it's a downgrade. I think you know that's what it is really. Um it is what it is in, in that position. Um but then you, you look at the midfield in the attack and really are the substitutes and squad players improving? You know, do, does Wilder ever look at that squad and think, oh, well, I'm, I'm, not sh- I'm not sure about that one. I'm not sure about who to pick up top. I'm not sure who slots into that right-sided central midfield position. I just, I, I don't think he is. And I, I, I want to be proven wrong. I want to look back on this podcast in a week's time or a month's time and just think, God, you were really losing the plot and you sounded very silly. But I just look at the squad again. It, it massively lacks quality in abundance. I just, I just hope for the for the sake of this podcast that there is some improvement coming because Nathan so do I because I you can see after this stage of the season where my uh, <laughs> how much I've seemingly already lost my head but, but I think it's been fair enough though in the last in the last two games especially that we've just had to talk through we've been nothing short of shambolic in yeah. both games, in both games. In that opening 45 against Cardiff, it was up there with one of the worst 45s I think I've ever seen from Middlesbrough Football Club. But then in the in the next three 45s from then on, I don't think there's been any real drastic improvement in the way that we've in the way that we've played, I don't think. Well, I, I know that currently we're we're miles off what I saw against Sheffield United from this Middlesbrough side that was only what a month a month ago. So, I just hope <laughs> that in the next. 10 days or so before we travel to um, rock bottom of the league, Coventry City, a struggling Coventry City, by the way, um, that we see some signs of improvement and are just a completely different team to what I've seen this week because that's not the team that I've loved watching over the last year or so that they were a completely different side and a shadow of the a shadow of the former selves um of what they've been over the last what 12 months or so now so yeah to we've got 10 days now to rest recuperate get the plan right 
because we've got following that 11 games coming up in the space of just over a month I think it's six weeks 11 games in six weeks before the season stops for the World Cup in Qatar and two bits of injury news Daryl Lenahan and Chubarakpom set to come back into the squad for that Coventry game permitting no setbacks to their uh, to their recoveries so that's a positive gets that scrub that gets that squad looking a lot stronger with those two back in the side but I just I don't know whether to hold out any hope or not at this moment in time I think it'd be stupid to do so yeah well I, I think it's it's quite clear to see which way I've gone but I still want to make it clear that and I've seen some really mean, really questionable um, opinions on, on social media that it's to do with the manager. Yes, I think Chris Wilder has, in certain situations probably has to take some of the blame, possibly substitutions and being a little bit naive in the Stoke game, for example, where he, he admitted himself he should have brought defenders on and just won the game rather than trying to press on and score more goals. Um, but suggestions about him being sacked and people like Scott Parker coming in and and taking us wherever he may take us is, in my opinion, complete nonsense. Um, Scott Parker, although he has two promotions on his CV, couldn't have really had two better squads to have a go at it with and stumbled over the line twice. So I, I don't even want to hear that suggestion, Nathan. I, we are a very, 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 very long way away from having a conversation as to whether Chris Wilder is the right man. Um, interestingly, an awful lot of uh, listener and follower questions come through on Twitter following the Rotherham game. Obviously, we tweeted out, as we always do, asking for statements, opinions, questions, all of those sorts of things, Nathan. Um, I've been looking forward to it, to be fair, since uh, the, the tweet was sent out, because there was an awful lot of responses. Um, and actually, some, some good suggestions that we haven't really gone in depth on yet. So, um, first question that I'd like to discuss was actually a, a two-parter from Alex Hardy, but we're going to let Alex get away with that. So firstly, he asks, why is Marcus Force on the naughty step? The second part of the question is, why is Matthew Hoppy not even on the bench? Um, I don't think he's on the naughty step. I think... Wilder, at this moment in time, feels as though he has better options. Um, that's not my opinion. I think that Force probably should be starting up front with Rodrigo Muniz, and that is because I think that Duncan Watmore impacts the game a lot more when he comes off the bench, when teams are tired. I agree. Um, his energy is 
top notch. Everyone knows that. And his willingness to pick the ball up and be direct and run out players is very important to my point as well. Um, I think if we were to play two up top, um, uh, uh, something that should be said is Rodrigo being the, the target man that I think we've seen him play as in the last few weeks. He's very good at holding that ball up, making himself a nuisance, backs into defenders, loves to be a bit of bit of a, a nuisance and, and aggressive with defenders. If he holds the ball up and links force into play, I think that we're I think that's a a good partnership, if I'm honest. Um everything sorry to interrupt. Have we actually seen Munez and Force as a pair yet? Because I can't yeah. Recall... yeah, for one minute against Cardiff. For one minute. So I mean that that sums that up really I, th- I think that sort of answers the question I was about to ask and you give your opinion there is is that what we need to see now and I think in fairness it'd probably be a little bit harsh on Duncan Watmore um, but to be brutally honest for me it just comes down to if in the 91st minute of a game the ball breaks through as a 1v1 with a Middlesbrough striker bearing down on goal and a goalkeeper to beat to win Middlesbrough all three points, who would I rather have Marcus Force or Duncan Watmore? I think it's an easy decision for me and it would be Marcus Force. Um, I don't... I understand what Duncan Watmore brings in terms of his work ethic. And as you say, he's very, very effective off the bench, especially against Hatton. I think that partnership of Force and Muniz has to be given a go. Um, obviously, in, until we see the, the full return to fitness of, of Juberak Pom. Uh, just on Matthew Hoppy as well. Um, obviously, scored again recently for uh, Middlesbrough's under-21s. Come to Middlesbrough, arrived with not really any huge expectations but most thought at least that he would be an option for Chris Wilder's team it's obviously since that sort of infamous now first press conference become quite apparent that he's viewed as a development striker it's in a summer where we haven't really spent an awful lot of money it does raise questions doesn't it that signing To a point, yes, but I'd say it it's pretty it it's just nailed on what he is. He's he's said to be a development striker, so that pretty much sums it up. He's not ready and here for the here and now. He's one for the future, which yeah, it's all well and good signing players that are one for the future but it's not good enough when we don't have players in the door that are ready for the here and now. Um, (laughs) Yeah. From what I've seen of Hoppy, which was all of 15 minutes at Reading, 
when we were absolutely horrific. Yeah. I thought he did okay, if I'm honest. Um, he had a neat few touches when he came on the pitch, um, flicked it over a Reading midfielder's head and knocked the ball down the channel for Giles to run onto. Made himself a bit of a nuisance. Um, and looks to be quite physical. I saw his finish the other day against Norwich under-21s and it looked like a pretty good finish in all fairness on his right foot. Um, knocked off balance slightly and fires the ball in to the top corner um, at the near post. Good finish. I think with Tuba coming back, we probably won't see Hoppy as of yet. But I think we'll I think we'll probably see him in and around the first team before before Christmas, if I'm honest. Um I think it'll get to it'll get to then and he'll still be scoring goals for the under 21s. He's played first team football that, in that's Bundesliga. The, that's the, the real sort of annoyance for some Middlesbrough fans and I think I'd fall into that category as well to be honest because it's not like Hoppy's been brought in as a development signing that's never played at you know the the top level talking about a striker that has scored hat-tricks in the Bundesliga and has played okay yes you can have your opinions about different European leagues but it's it's not some you know kid who has never played first team football. He's he's actually far from that, to be honest. Yeah, it seems strange. I think that's that's the part of this situation that's the strange part that everyone's getting caught up in. Uh, if I'm honest, just the fact that he's played first team football, he's played senior football before, showed some signs of adapting to senior football and I suppose my my sort of opinion on it would be he's not going to be used to senior football if he doesn't get any sort of game time um so we'll have to wait and see on that on that situation but we have three strikers there in Muniz what more and force that I think all can provide something. And then with Tuba coming back, a player that can provide something definitely, as we've seen in the early part of this season. So adding Hoppy into that mix again looks like a player that can offer something. Um, although I have only seen him in, in a very short burst. We've got five players there that can that can all offer something. I'm not saying that they can all offer ten plus goals a season because I'm not entirely sure that they can because that would be very very wishful thinking from from myself as a Middlesbrough fan having watched Middlesbrough strikers for all of my lifetime. But yeah, I think they can all offer something. Whether we see Hoppy. Now, 
or in the future. I'm not too sure, but I, I do think that it will be later on in the season rather than immediately, if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think at the moment all he can do from his perspective is carry on scoring goals from the 21 and hope that, you know, earns him a place and some minutes in the first team. Um, so hopefully he can continue scoring at, at that level and potentially break in. Um, George Scott, it did, it did make me laugh, this question. Um, he asks, is it all okay because we have a good XG? Um, I think that goes to show that actually sometimes stats can be a little bit misleading and you should not form all of your football opinions based off number crunching and percentages. Should watch football with your eyes. I think that, that's what this... This sums up, um, for those that don't know what we're talking about, Borough have one of the highest expected goals in the division. Um, I don't know the exact number, but we have scored 13 so far this season. Um, but our expected goals is quite significantly higher than that, uh, as far as I'm aware. And... I think this just does prove that you shouldn't read into stats too much because they don't always tell the whole story. Um, expected goals is a metric that is meant to prove how good your chances are of scoring goals and how 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 effective. I mean, it it shows how effective your strike force is, really. Um, and if they're achieving their XG, then <laughs> then they're doing they're doing quite all right. But if if they're underachieving it, then perhaps they're not not very efficient uh, in front of goal. And I don't think I've ever heard a phrase describe Middlesbrough quite as perfect as not very efficient in front of goal. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the, the best way of putting it, to be honest. Um, this this was also an interesting one. Um, Jeff got in touch. Um, I'm just looking at his profile now. Um, and it looks as though I think that's I think that's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as his header. Um, so you've got to respect that. It, it may not be, actually. It looks like some form of... I don't even know what that is, to be honest, but I thought it was a teenage ninja turtle to begin with. Um, that's not what his question's about. Um, Jeff, with a really hard-hitting question, actually, because it certainly divides opinion, and sometimes, you know, you just can't get things right if you dare question... Uh, what Jeff has. Um, so he says, is there actually any real ambition from the club hierarchy or is it just about balancing the books? Why can't they just be honest and say their aim is just to survive in the championship and stop taking the P-I-S-S if you can't spell? Um, I'm sure you can work that one out. Uh, out of the fans 
this is season after season now. And I guess what Jeff's doing is ultimately questioning the commitment of the real top, top figures at Middlesbrough Football Club and their ambition to to get Middlesbrough back into the Premier League. It's uh, it's a really big question, Nathan, but I, I think in times like this, it is important to sort of tackle it. Um, from my perspective, I think that Steve Gibson, of course, is always going to have a very, very, very high level of respect because of the fact that he saved the club, because of the fact that he is reported to inject a million pound a month, I think. And that was a good few years ago, so the likelihood is that may have um, increased since then, just to keep the club afloat every month. And this is all of his own money. We should be we should be uh, taking into consideration, but after two players um, departing the club with fees um, going past the ten million pound mark and little money being spent, do you think the commitment is still there to? to really do what Steve Gibson's done quite ironically, really with the wrong managers in the past and, and give, you know, the likes of Gary Monk and Gordon Strachan real, real financial backing, which they haven't repaid, of course. But I mean, ultimately, do you think Steve Gibson is, is still willing to do that? Yeah, I do think he is. Um, I just think that in the current climate, um, it, it's difficult to do so, really. Um, we've just come off the back of a pandemic where a lot of the club's revenue streams were cut. Um, and we've probably struggled financially over the last few years i'm not going to go into talking about the ins and outs of the finances because who am i to talk about that i don't know what goes on uh at the top with finances and what the club sets as a transfer budget no matter who comes in and out the door they will have a set number as far as i'm as far as i'm aware um yes Jed Spence left the club. Yes, Marcus Tavernier left the club, both for multi-million pound transfer deals. But the money, the money may have to be recouped and and put back into the club to keep the club running. I don't want to see us be like Derby from last season and yeah. and, and struggle. Um. I'm quite happy to to sit as a fan and see us backed to a point. We were back to a point this summer. I don't think there's any questions about that. Chris Wilder got Chris Wilder got ten signings through the yeah. door this summer. 
Zach, Zach, Zach Steffen's come, come in through the door from Manchester City. Ryan Giles is probably the best sort of player that you could have picked to play left wing back in the championship. And he got him through the door for this season. Okay, we struggled in the left side centre half and we didn't go for Jacob Greaves, who was the number one target, because Hull have just got new new owners in there that have offered him big money to stay at his hometown club and to to continue on as vice captain. And he's probably going to captain that captain his hometown club one day. You can see why he wants to stay there. So we've gone in and signed Matt Clark, who was one player of the season at a few of his clubs in the last few years and has been a, a, a relatively steady championship player over the last few years, got him in the door. Daryl Lenahan signed a player last year who was one of the standout centre-halves in the division on a multi, multi-year multi deal on a free transfer. We've signed, we've signed a lot of players this summer that have had proven track records in the championship of being steady players. And okay, we lost Marcus Tavernier. I think it was always going to happen that we were going to lose one of our, our bigger and better players this summer. Yes, we all hoped that there was going to be that marquee centre-forward. I think if we got that marquee centre-forward in, uh, one that cost in excess of £5 million, no matter what anyone said, they'd say, oh, he's been backed. Yeah, so, and fairly, I think. Yeah, so so one, one, play, so one player away from being completely backed. And at this moment in time, I don't think that that is the area that looks the most shocking on the pitch. But going back to your question about Gibson, I think I think he's just we, we don't know what's gone on behind the scenes. We don't know the financial situation. But to say he hasn't backed the manager, yeah, I think is a bit unfair, if I'm honest. I do think it's a bit unfair. Yeah. Do you do you think perhaps um you know, that, that's a real big question to answer. And I think, in, in fairness, you, you answered it very well. Um, do you think, actually, rather than just the sort of simple way of asking, is the manager being backed enough? Do you think, actually, it's more about have expectations being managed well enough? No. And... and I go back to that real, real hard-hitting interview in the tunnel at Preston at the back end of last season. And at the time, I've got to say, uh, it, it had me just bursting with excitement, ready for the new season, ready for all the new signings. And you've always got to be careful with these type of things because you can end up having your we're going to smash the league comment come back and hit you in the face. And I noticed there you answered the question almost straight away. Do you think that interview, of course, Chris Wilder, last game of last season, and a few of the comments, you know, the comment about numbers um, being filled, 
in hindsight now, have actually raised expectations too much? I'm not entirely sure if the expectations come from from Wilder's comments, but a lot of fans of Middlesbrough Football Club have got this expectation at the start of the season that we're gonna that we're nailed on to be in and around the automatic promotion picture because a pundit on Sky Sports said that oh, because they've got Chris Wilder, they're bound to be up there. I don't think that's the case. Um, I think you're seeing... I mean, anyone could have an opinion, can't they? And some some come out to be factually correct and some make you look stupid. And at this moment in time, people predicting Middlesbrough to get off to a fantastic start and be up, up there from the get-go just look stupid. We had a difficult we have a we had a difficult start on paper. That's and that's you've got to play everyone at some point, but we had a difficult start. Perhaps our summer recruitment didn't go to plan 100 percent because beginning of the season, Jube Rackpom hadn't had a full preseason at all. And he was thrown in from the start against West Brom in that opening game of the season. That wasn't in Wilder's plan at all. We all know that. But that's just one example of one component of this team and of this club that immediately settles that expectation. And just you've got to think as a as a level-headed fan, you'd you'd say, well, Middlesbrough don't look set in stone for the season. You can see that we still had business to do and that happened all the way through August up until the transfer deadline day and I don't think that we did all of the business that we set out to do and I think that's proven by us dipping into the free agent market and just bringing in bodies on short-term deals to get us to January, get us to January, and then we'll look to do more business again. So I don't think expectations have been managed. And I think the fans have, the fans have fell foul of that, I think, as well. Yeah. Do you think that Mebby's and okay, it's not it's not really the manager's responsibility to do so, but do you think even say, for example, a Kieran Scott interview with the Gazette or the Echo prior to the transfer window to sort of outline what the club's plans were, what the club's plans were. Sorry, a little bit more transparency would have helped a lot of the current feeling and frustration be managed. Perhaps, but I think at times Wilder in his press conferences has outlined that it's difficult to to get the players that you want in the door because 
there's there's teams in this division that can outspend you, even even in this division, and clubs at the bottom end of the Premier League that can come in for players, and even clubs from abroad. We saw we saw the situation with Larson. We were only willing to pay X amount, and other clubs from abroad came in and paid Grinningen's asking price in the end. So I'm not I'm not entirely sure. Um but on with the question as a whole about the hierarchy, I don't think that they're taking the mick out of the fans, really. Um I think that they're doing the best. Um they've, they've brought in a lot of players They've brought they've they've retained a manager that everyone is very very happy to give a lot of praise to, despite results not going too great at this moment in time. But things aren't, things aren't going well at the minute, and time will tell if. If backing Chris Wilder was the right decision or whether it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. And actually, that does bring an end to the questions. So thank you very much for getting in touch if you are listening back and have heard your question. Of course, we always ask on Twitter. So make sure if you want your question uh, to be asked to drop it in the comments or just send us it directly on Twitter if you if you want to contribute to the conversation. Um, you mentioned the hierarchy, a nice little transition into a piece of news this week. Uh, Middlesbrough have acquired Chris Jones from Crystal Palace uh, as their new uh, head of scouting, I believe. Uh, he'll obviously work alongside current head of football, Kieran Scott, and oversee the club's scouting and recruitment analysis departments. Obviously, I'm, I, I can't say that I'd ever heard of Chris Jones prior to this news in The Athletic, but in terms of infrastructure and scouting and recruitment, working as a team, there's not really any downsides to this news, is there, Nathan? Um, Possibly a little too late. Yeah, that's that's the only thing. Possibly a bit too late. We've just gone through a transfer window and struggled um, to pick out any real gems um, that no one had ever heard of. But Jones has worked with Kieran Scott before um, at Norwich under Stuart Webber as well. Um, so the pair of them know each other they know how each other work, they know how each other think, and they've got a good working relationship, um, all things considered. So it looks like a good move for the future. For the infrastructure, it looks fantastic, getting a, a head of scouting in, in the door. But as a fan, you look at that from the basic point of, the transfer window was was slammed shut three weeks ago. Why wasn't he brought in then? So 
yeah, we've got him. We've got him in for January at least, but it looks like we're just waiting for January at this moment in time. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I guess the only real suggestion that, that, that may explain that is contractually there may have been periods of gardening leave or something like that of course we don't know at all so we, we can't give a definite a definite opinion on that or a, a definite piece of information but just a suggestion why that might might have been the case um of course we're in the international break now weirdly despite the pain that the club have put me through in the past week you do miss it as soon as the international break starts you do miss club football of course upon the return of club football we do have Coventry City to travel to um just briefly sort of previewing and talking about what sort of challenge Coventry is going to give Chris Wilder's team. What are your thoughts on on that trip? And especially that away trip because it has all of the meaning behind um, given that someone that appeared on our channel last year twice, Alex, uh, the Coventry fan, if you can remember the Coventry City previews, is probably crossing everything that we actually um, receive another beating in Coventry away. Um, uh, well, I think they are playing in Coventry these days. I know they've dotted around from time to time, Nathan. Yeah, they have. And for a time this season, they dotted around as well. Um, championship fans will have kept up to date with the story regarding the pitch at the Coventry Building Society Arena. Um, for some daft reason, the the owners of the stadium uh, allowed 33 games of Rugby Sevens to be played in the Commonwealth Games in the week leading up to Coventry's opening home fixture of the season, um, which ripped up the pitch and led to Coventry playing a League Cup game in Burton, of all places. Um, I think that's their, something like their third third temporary ground in the last 10 years or something like that, which is quite the start. But, yeah, the, the, they've started playing games back at the CBS now and things haven't been looking too great for them as well, same as us. Uh, Coventry have only played seven games rather than Middlesbrough, who have who've played ten. But Coventry yet to win a game so far this season, so it'd be typical, wouldn't it? Um, they've got a lot of good players uh, in their side. I'll I'll be it with the with the poor results that they've had. Um, Callum O'Hare set to return from injury. Um, first game back after the international break. Uh, Nippy, attacking midfielder, who plays across the front three or behind the front two in the ten. Um, and then up front, two main men, um, Yokares, who a lot of Middlesbrough fans would have been very happy to see sign for us in the summer, and 
Matt Godden, who I think is very underrated, in fairness, um, goes under the radar a lot because a lot of the spotlight is always on Victor Jokeres. But Godden does a lot of the dirty work, a lot of the running in behind and gets his fair share of goals as well. Um, they will be without Gustavo Hamer, who's another fantastic midfielder in the championship who got sent off in the last game against Birmingham, his second red card of the season, which is outstanding, really. Even for uh, his standards, that's really, really impressive. It is. It's, it's unbelievable that you can be that poor in, in terms of your discipline, but there we have it. Um, just lastly, just to top off the podcast with a, a fantastic little snippet, Middlesbrough's record at Coventry is absolutely horrific. Yeah, I don't think. I, I, in fact, I think it's it's actually fact that Middlesbrough have never won at uh, the Rico slash CBS Arena. So, yeah, uh, what a what a thrilling prospect of yeah. uh, at the end of this international break to look forward to. I mean, that could really go one or two ways, couldn't it? And uh, the pessimistic Middlesbrough fan. Um, is trying to convince my brain it'll go one way, which I'm sure you can all work out. Um, before we wrap up the podcast, Nathan, of course, we've also had quite an exciting announcement on our Twitter this evening. Um, of course, that would be the announcement of a giveaway, giveaway of two tickets and not just any tickets VIP meet and greet tickets for Neil Warnock's live show Are You With Me at the Middlesbrough Town Hall um, obviously the competition is currently on our Twitter um, details on how it went uh, if you can't be bothered to read the tweet and the thread basically follow Bropless on Twitter retweet the main competition post and subscribe to our YouTube channel. But Nathan, just quickly, um, it promises to be a really good night, of course. It was a, a weird time that we did have um, with Neil Warnock in charge of the club, but I'm sure it'll be a great night. And uh, I know we've both spoken about um, being quite excited to hear some of the stories that he has. Yeah, it pr promises to be a fantastic evening, doesn't it? Um I've got a lot of respect for Neil Warnock for what he did for, for us during COVID. Gave us a lot of good times keeping Middlesbrough up in the Championship after a dismal season. Um, and in lockdown as well, just that Middlesbrough side, I think, probably won't be the most memorable side that we've ever had but it'll be a side that I always look on, look back on with a lot of fondness. Um, where weeks at university for me were were slightly boring um, in terms of being locked up in in halls um, away from COVID, and luckily having. 
that that Neil Warnock Middlesbrough side to look forward to watching on on the weekends and and Tuesday nights as well. So yeah, looking forward to hearing many stories from Neil Warnock at Middlesbrough Town Hall in in November. So looking forward to it, and I think it'll be a fantastic evening. Yeah, it sure it sure will be, and uh, I believe there'll be some some special guests there as well. So that that will be uh, be interesting to see who who comes out and who he's got up his sleeve. Um, Jed Spence. I somehow I'm going to hazard a guess that Jed Spence's invite may have been lost in the post. <laughs> you never know. That could really be a surprise that everyone um, gets there. <laughs> gets the surprise of the night for. Um, we should also say, obviously, the link. Um, we are giving away the pair of tickets, uh, just to clarify. Obviously, that's not two pairs, just the one pair. So there'll be one winner of those two tickets. And again, they are VIP meet and greet tickets, which are sold out now. So uh, definitely worth entering that competition. If you want to just buy normal tickets, um, we'll also... Um, put the link in the description uh, if we remember to and if we don't remember Nathan then the link to tickets is on our Twitter on the pinned tweet so have a look at that um, but Nathan that seems to have been a, a very long podcast it has been enjoyable despite some of the negativity uh, I do like getting in depth and uh, having a good conversation about what's going right and what's going wrong um, there's been probably a few more things going wrong of late, but um, you know you've got to enjoy the uh, the downs because then when you do have the the ups, uh, the they feel all that much sweeter. Um, so from from me and Nathan, unless I've forgotten anything, Nathan, just quickly give me a heads up on that. Not as far as I'm aware. Hope everyone enjoys the international break. Gives us some some respite from Middlesbrough, but I'm sure we'll all be ready for, for Borough to come back um, after Monday evening in Germany at Wembley. So I think we'll be ready for, for a trip to Coventry by then. Yeah, we certainly will be. Um, so from me, Nathan, as usual, thank you ever so much for watching and listening. Um, of course, we've gained a fair few subscribers on YouTube due to the competition. So if you're watching on YouTube and you haven't subscribed, then be sure to subscribe because that only leaves two more steps to enter the Neil Warnock competition. Um, and if you're listening on, on audio platforms, be sure to give us a kind rating and possibly even a review. Um of course, that would be greatly appreciated. But from me and Nathan, that has been another episode of the Brockless Podcast, and we will see you again soon. Water, 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 water.